This is Remembering Yugoslavia, the show exploring the memory of a country that no longer exists. I'm your host, Peter Korchnak. Yugoslav popular music plays a major role in keeping the memory of Yugoslavia alive. Whether out of nostalgia or, as Chuck Klosterman might say, simply because of repetition over the years, Yugoslav rock in particular keeps on rocking. The guest of an earlier episode of Remembering Yugoslavia, Martin Pogacar, wrote in a journal article, I quote, In socialist Yugoslavia, popular music played an important role as a socio-ideological mobilizer. After the dissolution of the country, Yugoslav popular music remained an important part of the cultural legacy and continued to act as a vehicle for the re-presencing of the past in an increasingly mediated present. In all its diversity, popular music can be seen as a cultural product not only for articulating and externalizing memories, but also for performing identity in post-Yugoslav nationalized spaces. End quote. Here to amplify some of these themes is my guest Petar Janjatovic, an absolute legend of the Yugoslav and Serbian music scene. A writer, critic, and a journalist, he is best known for authoring the illustrated U-Rock Encyclopedia 1960-1997, now in its fourth edition, expanded and renamed to X-U-Rock Encyclopedia 1960-2015. The various editions of the book have been described as a milestone, as the biggest achievement in the field of Yugoslav rock literature, and as a book you must have. One guy who wrote a critic of, of my book, and he says, Internet cannot damage this book. Internet helps. When it comes to the reasons for the continued popularity of Yugoslav rock music, the chart topper is clear. Uh, first of all, most of those songs are really good. And uh, uh, they survived all those years, so this is really, you know, we are talking about evergreen music. And the Yugoslav and post-Yugoslav experience underscore the political potential of music. Music is a great weapon, but the problem is politicians know that, and they are using musicians, and then they forget about them when they came to power. Serbian zombies, three presidents, and some expletives also make an appearance. Janjatovic and I spoke over coffee and rakia at a cafe in central Belgrade. A walking music encyclopedia, throughout our conversation Janjatovic references a lot of performers. I've embedded select songs by all the bands and singers he mentions in the episode show notes, which you can find linked at rememberingyugoslavia.com slash podcast. Petar Janjatovic, what would you say about Yugoslav rock to someone who doesn't know anything about it? What should they know? Why is it important and why should they care? When I was writing Eurock Encyclopedia in the mid-90s, and uh, when I was close to the finish the job, so I started to search for the photographs, old photographs. It was time before the internet. So I have to, you know, ask friends and go through, you know, that big work. And one of the idea, when I have to choose, for example, you have 15 photos of one band and you need one or two. And my idea was, okay, let's, let's find photos. And through those photos, somebody who is, who never heard about Yugoslav rock and roll can, can get the idea. So different kinds of, of genre, genre, different kinds of clothes all kinds of images, and um, and I think one of the very important thing about that Yugoslav rock and roll is uh, variety of bands 
all kinds of, I mean, talking about acoustic music or heavy metal, punk, new wave, ballads. So that was very, very good because you had music for all ears. And uh, of course, we can talk uh, through the decades because in some way, regime or Tito's regime, they supported rock and roll. We used to write for uh, youth magazines who were actually were supported through through the government. Each republic has. So in Belgrade was Omladinske uh, Novine, in Zagreb Polet, in Slovenia Mladina, Bosnia Nashidani or something, in Macedonia Mlad Borec, Young Fighter. So the first half of those magazines were, you know, kinds of propaganda, working class, uh, miners, and at the end they left us free space to, we play there. So we started to write about all kinds of stuff. I mean, cartoons, books, movies. Student culture centers were also supported by the government. And that was the main place for, for, for making scene. New Wave started in the Student Culture Center here in Belgrade. Those young bands, they got, they, they had the chance to, to practice. They had, the, you know, their room for free. Well, the only thing is that once or twice a year they have to play for, for, I don't know, Youth Day or Tito's birthday or something like that, you know. So that was really, really strange. I mean, in 90, 82, a friend of mine, uh, a writer who was editor in uh, something which was called Istraživačko izdavački centar Saveza socijalističke omladine Belgrada. The research and publishing center of the Socialist Youth Alliance of Belgrade. So he asked me and a friend of mine, colleague Dragan Kremer, he says, okay, would you write uh, Eurock Encyclopedia? We are about to publish that. And we were like, I mean... This is big, I mean, a lot of work. So we told him, we are now in the movement of new wave. Every week you have new big song or a new big record. When we finished book, when book went out, it would be passe because of those a lot of happenings. And we made uh, a book uh, called Drugom uh, Stranom, this is the name of the song, Azra band song, Almanach Novog Talasa Usafareja. The Other Way, an almanac of new wave in SFRY. So a lot of photos, and we choose lyrics, uh, songs, those who made the change, you know, because with the new wave we had for the first time politics in, in popular music. Before that was, you know, love and nothing else approximately. So we made that. We asked a few people to, to write uh, some kind of essays. So theater critic, she wrote about how New Wave and Punk changed change the uh, theater situation in Yugoslavia. The other guy was writing about the cartoons. One famous uh, uh, writer was, he wrote, you know, essay about how punk influenced literature. So it was so easy to do something like that because you have, you know, big publishing company behind you and government one. So, okay, let's, let's reveal it. 
That's shots of Rakia arriving at our table. Cheers to you too. New Wave emerged in Zagreb and Belgrade in the late 1970s and flourished through the first half of the 1980s. In his 2013 book Chic, Rattle and Roll, Yugoslav Rock Music and the Poetics of Social Critique, Dalibor Mishina labels New Wave as a strand of music of commitment, which was, I quote, a cultural reaction to the imperfections of new socialist culture and the most consequential popular cultural catalyst of sociocultural and sociopolitical critique in Yugoslav society. New Wave, Mishina says, was an expression of youth's urban consciousness and a critique of the urban experience. It put rock music on the cultural map. End quote. New Wave bands included uh, Azra, Šarlo Akrobata, Prljavo Kazalište, Električni Orgazam, Haustor, the list goes on. They're all featured in Ex-Urock Encyclopedia, which, according to Janjatovic, has sold some 16 to 17,000 copies, a massive number for the local market. So what's behind the book's continued popularity, cult status even? Okay, internet is huge. You can find everything on internet, but you can easily get lost. So I think this book is some kind of uh, guide with, with a lot of information. So if you are 20 years old and you know main bands, but you would like to find out something else, and you go through the book and things are linked. One guy who wrote a critic of, of my book, and he says, Internet cannot damage this book. Internet helps. Lots of people told me, how, why you didn't, you know, with the book, some CD, best off, or something like that. I said, there is no need. I mean, everything is on internet. I have, just have to point to the people. So probably, I think, is, is because of that. Let's come back. Nostalgia. Nostalgia. I think a lot of books, copies of the books, people bought for presents. You know, when you gave to someone a book like that and he's into Yugoslav rock and roll music, that means, okay, I'm, I was thinking of you to give you really something, not, you know, a bottle of wine or something like that. This is, you know, gift with address. Were it not for the lyrics in different languages, you might mistake Yugoslav rock with that of any other country, except for Pastirski rock or Shepherd rock which injects elements of regional folk music into songs. The Slovene author Aleš Debeljak has said, quote, Yugorok never wanted to conceal its flirtation with shepherd songs or the Macedonian penpipes that our rock musicians' mothers had listened to as they worked the fields. Of course, Yugorok was based on the universal configuration of bass, guitar, drums, and voice, but it also drew on the living wellsprings of southern Slavic folk melodies, end quote. An early promulgator of the subgenre was Yugrupa, and the best-known one, Bielodugme, the Yugoslav equivalent of Led Zeppelin or uh, U2. For example, you have Yugrupa. They started in 1970, and at the beginning of their career, they had those songs influenced by uh, folk music. Mostly folk music uh, from uh, Kosovo and, let's say, south of Serbia. And they were very popular. They influenced the other younger musicians. Then you have Lebisol band from Skopje, Macedonia, with their brilliant covers of, of traditional Macedonian songs. And I can name 10 or 15 bands. So that was really, let's say, original. 
So you group, but in 1973, they went to London and uh, somebody connected them with the people from EMI and uh, those people were very interested in their, in their, they listened to the songs and they organized them concert in Marquee Club and Marquee Club was, you know, really, really cold place at that time. So they played there and uh, a friend of mine was with them and he says that the audience really reacted on those songs influenced by folk. The other rock and roll songs were okay, big deal, you know. So similar thing we can we can say about Bregovic, Bielodugme. He's excellent in um, arrangements. Yes, I, I a few times I wrote about him that he's like King Mida, you know. Everything she touch, he touches turns into the gold. So he, you know, discovers some old folk songs, then he. Record that songs with the, with the Bielo Dugme or by himself, and those songs became huge. I mean, they went into Kafana on the very next day, and they existed for 30, 40 years, but nobody noticed them. So, this is something which I mean, you can you can see what he has done around the world. I mean, he is playing 15 same songs, you know, and he has a, a record for the Polish singer with those songs, huge, very successful Greek. Greece, Turkey. So there is something uh, which which uh, goes under skin, goes under skin. Years ago, I heard a joke about Goran Bregovic, the founder and leader of Bielodugme and a composer. What do you call a person who steals one song? A gypsy. And what do you call the person who steals all the songs? Goran Bregovic. At any rate, despite the decades since Yugoslavia's collapse, Yugoslav rock is still very popular, with frequent radio plays, Sold-out concerts of ex-Yugoslav bands across the former republics. Why is that? Uh, first of all, most of those songs are really good. And uh, uh, they survived all those years. So this is really, you know, we're talking about evergreen music. People love to listen to the songs on their language. Uh, there is also really a lot of nostalgia, especially for us older people, because we are... You know, remind us we were young, uh, living was easy, and uh, those were the best years of our, our lives, especially beginning beginning of 80s. So probably radio people recognize this is, there is an audience for that. And uh, on the other hand, you can see, for example, this month, Zdravko Jolic playing six arenas. Bayaga played for Sava Center sold out. His manager told me, he says, we can probably sell six. But okay, let's stop. So there is audience. And uh, it happens that young people discover that music. This is uh, probably much easier with internet. And if they are, you know, curious, they can find everything. The continued popularity of Yugoslav music today may not be just an expression of nostalgia, but also a resistance strategy, a reaction to the imperfections of the current reality. A lot of the critique musicians Yugoslavia put forward in their work translates to today. Martin Pogacar has argued, I quote, Yugoslav rock, and primarily Yugoslav new wave, has lost little cultural value and subversive charge, and it has retained much of its potency and appeal. If during the 1980s Yugoslav rock was the prime outlet for system critique, during the 1990s, it became the prime outlet for post-socialist new state system critique. 
Today, New Wave presents an outlet for the recomposition of musical preferences, as well as a vehicle of nostalgia as a opposition to the post-1991 socio-political orientations of post-Yugoslav societies. End quote. In fact, musicians in Serbia today adopt existing musical styles to address their current problems. What's the music scene like in Serbia today? Lots of newcomers. This is quite good. I mean, new kids with their, you know, their problems, they're thinking about the problems. So again, this uh, tradition of punk and new wave, uh, especially because of the, of the all kinds of problems. You know, I wrote an article few weeks ago for Deutsche Welle, about a lot of young bands are singing about young people leaving their countries. Bands from Zagreb told me they have much more audience in Dublin than in Zagreb. <laughs> We play Dub- Dublin very often. <laughs> so, I mean, scene is, I think is good, but, uh, but they have a problem, of course, of, uh, Um, it's not so easy to be original after 60 years of rock and roll. Oh, I mean, so many things were, were played and sung, and so probably most of them, you know, will get, give up after first uh, uh, existential problems. But still, new kids are coming, and, uh, and uh, good, we have a good music. I really love how they communi- communicate with bands in the region, you know. Like, uh, punk was fanzine scene. And they, at that time, small punk bands were very good connected to the, that fanzine scene. Now they have all kinds of possibilities and they, they connect. And it's always like, uh, okay, come to Belgrade, I'll organize some gig for you. And then they come to, you know, to the city of those people and play, and I mean, everything is no budget, but it's, you know, do-it-yourself system. We have band Repetitor. They are, for me, they're like, I don't know, Charlotte Roberta for 21st century. Um, and they actually, they won on some festival in Pula, and Croatia first recognized them. So they start to play clubs, 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 clubs. Then somebody was somebody was making a documentary called "Do It Yourself" about you know people from those alternative scenes and how they help each other. So they cover some American bands, Dutch, and uh, and the Repetitor. And when the movie went out, a lot of people find out for Repetitor. And Repetitor played festival in China, Moscow, just thanks to that movie. So, you know, things happened. One of the recurrent themes in Yanatovich's writing and media interviews is that Yugoslav rock music unites people in a certain way. It reminds them of the time when they were all together, when they all lived in peace. I ask him to elaborate on music's political potential. In 1993, I, with my friends uh, from Germany, I organized a concert in Prague and Berlin, uh, anti-war concert. That was, I mean, in the middle of the war. And through that, we tried 
you know, to show to the people uh, that not not everybody are for for the war. And um, in Berlin, in one uh, club where the, the the gig was, so during the day, woman came to me and she says, I'm from TV Zagreb. We would like to do interview with you if you dare to. And I was thinking like, fuck, if Sheshel see that uh, me on TV, it won't be good. So I said, yes, of course, why not? Her question was, uh, a lot of people in Croatia uh, don't approve this gig. And they say, this is, uh, this is Yugo Nostalgia. I said, please. I hate word word Yugo nostalgia, and she laughed and said, "You know, I'm Yugo futurist." <laughs> and they stopped the interview and went out. <laughs> and at that moment, it really looked in my lifetime. Ne- I will never see, for example, Croatian or Bosnian bands in Belgrade, and vice versa. So future is here. Look, I. I work for uh, Dallas Records. This is Slovenian, Croatian, Serbian publishing company. <laughs> that explains everything. Okay, in City Shabbats, there is a post-punk band, Goblini. And their singer, frontman, he wrote autobiography. They start in '92. Guitar player and the bass player, they were from, from Croatia. Fathers in army. So they were refugees. They went to Shabbats. They started to play to save their life. They found that guy, uh, a singer, who was doing nothing, you know, dealing marijuana or something like that, and studying. <laughs> so they made the band. They played their own music, but they play a lot of, uh, of uh, uh, XU punk and New Wave songs. So he wrote a book about that. They were very against Milosevic. This book, we sold something like 2,000 copies. I mean, excellent. And a fi- few months later, we published a book written by b- bass player of Pula, Pula uh, punk band Kudidioti. And Kud Idioti are huge. They were very much against regime in Croatia. So through those two books, I think I show the kids, the newcomers, how was that? In one hand, you have a small punk band from the small town in Serbia fighting against Milosevic. In the other hand, or in the other book, you have small punk band from small city in Croatia fucking, uh, fight, <laughs> fighting, fighting against tu- Tujman. And when you read them, great, great. I mean, that in those two books, you have a proper situation of uh, alternative uh, uh, rock scene in Yugoslavia in the 90s. So th- that makes me feeling good, you know, to, to do, do, doing stuff like that. Parallel to the continued popularity of Yugoslav rock, the phenomenon of so-called Narodna Muzika, national folk music, occupies a large swath on the post-Yugoslav and particularly Serbian musical landscape. One Saturday night in Kragujevac, a city two hours southeast of Belgrade, I went to Kafana Yugoslavia, a socialist Yugoslavia-themed restaurant with a red-starred flag painted on the wall, 
photos of Tito and Yugoslav knickknacks on display. A live folk band performed for hours to a packed, smoke-and-song-filled room of 20-somethings. What's your take on that? In the late 70s, early 80s, we thought that uh, rock and roll is really popular in Yugoslavia. Bielo Dugman, Ribler Charba, for example, they sold thousands of records. Then I went in the army, and I realized that in that sleep, sleeping room was 50 of us from all parts of Yugoslavia, mostly, mostly rural. 40 of them listened to the Narodna Muzika. Uh, seven of the others were listening to the rock and roll, but Bielo Dugman, Ribler Charba. And it was me and the guy from Ljubljana and the guy from uh, from Zagreb. We, we listened to the, you know, let's say, alternative rock music or new wave or something like that. So I realized, okay, this is Yugoslavia. <laughs> A few weeks before war started in Sarajevo, uh, musicians from Belgrade, from Belgrade, they made this band Rinto Titoki, and they uh, record a song called Slušaj uh, Vamo, with the lyrics, Nećemo da pobedi narodna muzika, ono, šlema, mozga nema. We don't want national folk music to win. There's no brain underneath a helmet. So, anti-war song. During the wars, music was also very important for the people. Help them to survive. There was a bad situation, but I, I wrote an article for, for American magazine Billboard uh, in '92. And um, I said that now we have a situation which I think never happened, that the people who have had same records at home shooting at each other. Really. And uh, that was, you know, everything was tragic. But that was also, you know, so disappointing. You know, those people... They have Ribbjarba records at home. One is from Sarajevo, the other one is from Kragujevac, and they are shooting at each other. You know, when the war was finished, people start to come back to those those memories they have, you know, after everything calmed down. You know. But it was so easy to manipulate with the people, but, but this is nothing new. <laughs> and... Um, when I went to Sarajevo for the first time after the war, which that was '98, uh, I met a lot of people who told me when we realized that Party Breakers, Electrician Orgasm, Ekaterina Velika made a band to send us message that they are not for for war. That means a lot to us. You know, can you imagine you're sitting in Sarajevo and and somebody who is your hero? send you a message that this is not good, this is, gr- we are against that. Um, so I think those things are, are, were and still are very important. I went with Rambo Amadeus uh, February 2000, so Tujman died at the end of 99, and uh, new government, was in Croatia and atmosphere was great, absolutely great. So we went there and Rambo played Zagreb, Pula and Rijeka and Zagreb twice. And that was, I don't know, brilliant. I mean, with the people and, and, and everything. And I went with my 
with my cameraman, I worked at the Radio Televisio Pancevo at that time, so I made a lot of interviews with the musicians, and everybody said, yes, of course, I will come, yes, I will give you an interview. Milosevic was, was still in power, so that, you know, people were, fuck off, well, it's time to, to live again. And I remember in one club, I, I did interviews with musicians, and, uh, and I asked, that guy, musician, okay, would you like to drink something? He says, yeah, beer would be fine. And I went at the, at the bar, Shank. And the guy was uh, uh, working there, was, you know, looking tough. And I said, Two beers, please. I said, what? Where do you come from? I said, from Serbia. And he says, I was in war. I fight. Welcome. <laughs> I was like, fuck. <laughs> so, music is really good glue. And, uh, I mean, as you can see now, people are, everybody goes to play in any other place. And this is only the matter of uh, economics. Okay, not everybody. Ribya Chorba is not <laughs> in, in Zagreb. But, one of the most influential Yugoslav rock acts, Belgrade-based Ribila Chorba, is also known for its overt Serbian patriotism, which spilled over to the support of Serbian nationalism in the 1990s, leading to the decline of the band's popularity in other ex-Yugoslav countries. So as I told you, Saturday evening, Dom Omladine and Parafi sing Živjela Yugoslavia. Živjela Yugoslavia, or Long Live Yugoslavia, is a 1985 Yugoslav patriotic song performed by Miroslav Ilic and Lepa Brena. More on her in a bit. Its lyrics include lines like, When I see all the beauty where I was born, I noted in my heart, Long Live Yugoslavia. And, The land of peace, the land of Tito, we love you, our mother, Long Live Yugoslavia. A friend of mine who is a m- m- movie director from Zagreb, uh, who he always make a lot of jokes in Serbia Croatia relationships, and he actually this year he did a, a movie called Poslednji Serbin u Hrvatskoj, the last Serbian Croatia zombie comedy, brilliant, and uh, so he wrote on his Facebook, I was uh, in packed Doma Mladine Beograda, and the audience was singing with the band Živjela Yugoslavia. I have to left this brutal reality and went home and went on internet, realizing that at the same moment in packed arena with Zagrebu, Lepa Brena is singing Yasem Yugoslavenka together with the audience. <laughs> then he says, uh, I didn't fight for that, but this is our joke. Lepa Brena was the most famous Yugoslav singer of the 1980s, the Yugoslav Madonna, if you will. Her popularity during the decade eclipsed that of the late Tito, to the point where fans would replace his name with hers in the old slogan and chant, We are Brenas, Brenas ours. Another story I heard has it that Tina Turner was supposed to tour Yugoslavia at the same time as Lepa Brena, and she had to cancel her tour because of poor sales. Everyone went to see Lepa Brena. Today, Lepa Brena continues to personify Yugoslavia to many. Days before I sat down with Janjatovic, she had played a sold-out show at the Zagreb Arena and sang Yugoslovenka, or Yugoslav, while waving the socialist Yugoslavia's flag and the crowd singing along. The clip made huge rounds on social media, and some Croatian generals protested the performance, calling for banning Lepa Brena from the country. 
Yo, I cannot, I cannot tell you much about her, you know, singing and everything. But, uh, but I, yeah, I enjoyed. I was, I went on the internet to see that, and um, you know what is Inat? Inat is an untranslatable Serbo-Croatian word that means roughly spite, but with an element of hard-headedness, defiance, even prickliness. This is Inat, and she was really. She had the heart to, to sing that in the, in the center of Zagreb. Because you really never know what might happen. One idiot is enough to make chaos. So, great, great moments. Music is a great weapon. But the problem is politicians know that. And they are using musicians and then they forget about them when they came to power. And that it happens all the time. And... Uh, because of that, because people feel like used, okay, they feel used. Today it's not so easy to uh, mobilize people for protest. During the 90s, when we had those protests against Milosevic, rock and roll was really important. few rock and roll songs from, let's say, Disciplina Kichme or some other bands, they were anthems on protest. And it's so bad that today, rock and roll, we cannot put in front of us against Vucic. And we need that. <laughs> in his 1995 essay, Twilight of the Idols, Recollections of a Lost Yugoslavia, Alish Debeljak writes about his devotion to Yugorok. He, quote, sought an authentic way of being that would bring me close to people who could understand joy and sadness without a lot of unnecessary words. It afforded me the rare chance to live in a multicultural society long before that term was co-opted as the official protective coloring of the politically correct." End quote. Though the childhood in a common state is lost forever, he and millions of other ex-Yugoslavs continue to listen to Yugoslav rock because that music is, quote, a magic formula that secures our passage to that refuge among the eternally young landscapes of the spirit in which we will always be at home." End quote. Me, I've been using Yugoslav songs, the lyrics, as an alternative method for learning the language. And so in order to delve deeper in the future into the memory of a disappeared country, I learned one particular language, Serbo-Croatian, on the backdrop of listening to the universal language of music. That's Yugo-Futurist enough for me. Find select songs by performers referenced in this episode of Remembering Yugoslavia and other resources about Yugoslav rock music in the show notes, linked at rememberingyugoslavia.com slash podcast. And support the illustrious rock and roll career of the Remembering Yugoslavia podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash rememberingyugoslavia. Transcript by Zorica Popovic. Outro music courtesy of Robert Petric. Additional music by NoSense licensed under Creative Commons. Special thanks to Mirjana Jevtovic. I am Peter Korchniak. Ciao!